Good morning. I, if you are new or newish here, my name is Bree Thompson. I get to serve here as pastor of youth and young adult ministries. Um, pastor Hank Johnson is our senior pastor. He opened the service with a call to worship um, today. I would like to open in prayer join me in prayer here. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, the ways you speak to us and guide us. <clears throat> guide us now by your word and in your presence. Amen. I want to start today by talking a little bit about the religious culture of the time when Jesus came on the scene. Um, and what it was like for those first followers of Jesus to figure out what, what is the way, um, what was the way in that time amidst that culture. So I want to take a minute to look at um, the different religions in, that were happening in, in that time. So first off, um, prior to Jesus was the time of Roman expansion, and they were conquering more and more territories, expanding the land. Um, when they expanded, though, they did not they intentionally did not wipe out the people um, or their culture. They actually, um, there was a <clears throat> very psychological, intentional method for how they expanded. So they wanted to expand their land, but they also wanted to increase their population. And they wanted willing participants as much as they could um, of a conquering people. Um, so one of the pieces that they did towards that was to allow them to keep their cultures, keep their gods, um, and it was this intentional approach of diluting the culture that had been conquered. Intermarriages were encouraged of the like governing authorities that were brought in into the people there, and that was, again, just to, to mix things up and to really take away allegiances of like the former culture, the former gods. Um, so what would happen is there was a sharing of gods as, as everything expanded. Um, when they took on a new territory, um, the leaders would maybe take on those gods and those of the, the people there would maybe take on some of their gods. Um, and then they ended up with like an interconnected network of gods. Um, there was a hierarchy of them as well. Um, but they were all connected. And so there's this incredible mix of belief systems. Sometimes uh, belief would stay local. Sometimes it would carry across the, the empire um, and just be mixed with everything that was happen, happening. Um, the Jewish culture of the time was also broken up. Um, sometime prior was the Maccabean revolt. Um, that had been dispersed. Um, you had Sadducees and Pharisees, but they all lived out um, their Jewish faith a little differently. They had different ways to live and practice and what they thought it meant to be um, faithfully Jewish. Um, so lots and lots of mixes in, in the life and culture of the everyday person reflected everything representative with the spiritual realms. So in that time, if you were a person living there and you, and you had something and you wanted to, to pray about it to a god, the gods, it was pretty tricky to figure out, well, well who should I pray to? Uh, which, uh, what sacrifice should I do? or what, what, what is my proper retribution here? Um, very confusing to try to go about your spirituality 
um, to be religiously faithful. And another piece, since it was a hierarchy and they were interconnected, um, you couldn't leave out some gods and say, well, I'm, I'm not going to worship this one, or I'm going to just focus on this god. Uh, you had to be very much like in the midst and in tune with all those things happening so as to not offend a god up top who acknowledged this god underneath. Um, even the Caesars, um, the emperors, ultimately became deified. Um, after their death, some of them welcomed it before they were dead to be honored as a god. So that tied in and mixed in with all of it, too. Um, but so there's really a lot of anxiety with that spiritual context and climate um, trying to, to live faithfully for what that meant um, for someone amidst all of that. Um, there was even um, magic was often a way, was one of the ways you could really find the most hope. It felt more of like an equation. If I pay this amount of money to the magician and request this specific thing, I might get this outcome. So that was one of the more sturdy places in that spiritual time of chaos. Um, I think it's good testament to the chaos of the time. We see a little later in the church um, in Acts, Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, they go to Lystra and they heal a man who had never walked before. And then all the people there um, immediately wanted to worship them. They said the gods have come down to us in human form and they're trying to offer sacrifices to them. So that kind of shows you how quickly people would take on other gods and kind of just merge it into their um, belief system of disarray. So that is the setting that Jesus' followers find themselves in. Um, and, you know, Gentiles were very much a part of those first groups of people trying to follow Jesus faithfully. Um, but they knew, well, this culture, this, this isn't the way. Uh, we've got to figure out a different way. We've got to separate ourselves. They're not going to move away from where they are, but we've got to make boundaries. We've got to figure out, we have to figure out what this looks like. We can't follow former idols um, we cannot go on with the lifestyles of sexual immorality, the greed, and the many, many sinful patterns and behaviors of that time. So they intentionally enter in community. Um, we see in scripture a lot of Paul's intentional teachings. Um, he's trying to set up boundaries, show them the spaces, hey, this is wrong, you can't live this way, um, helping them to create the divide in that culture as they continue to live there. They spend good time in community with other believers, um, and they, again, very intentionally figured out what is the way? What does it look like to follow Jesus? We have to firmly stand in contrast to this former way of, livings, uh, of living. And we see in Paul's letters a lot of him admonishing the churches because they've, they've missed the mark. They haven't quite got it. They've gone astray. He's redirecting them. Paul's saying, no, you, you can't do this. Paul says, how is this happening in your midst? Um, and Paul reminds again and again, this is what it looks like to follow Christ. Because it was so hard um, from where they were in their culture and what was surrounding them to try to live um, in a way that honors God. So um, I want to look at one of the scriptures from that time in Romans 12, speaking to that first church, first group of believers. Verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. They had to intentionally figure out the ways to not conform to the patterns around them, but be transformed by the renewing of their minds. They knew if they wanted to be beacons of light for Christ in that setting, they had to be intentionally different. They had to set a different way. So I want to talk now and shift to the religious culture we find ourselves in today. We live in a religious culture of chaos. There are many belief systems, many ways to live that are acceptable, and most of the ways and beliefs are quite celebrated by our culture. It's an encouraged posture and perspective um, to let to everyone whatever feels good to you is right. Our biblical God is no longer a marker that culture set on or formed around. The human is an autonomous individual. We are self-sovereign. Each individual determines what they need, what is good, what is right. Any public platform, wherever that may be, is no longer a place where religious people are welcome to bring their religious specific convictions. Major moral decisions are judged in reference to personal preferences and leanings, but not on a single truth. And so we have added to this the overflow of social media feeds and the infinite information available uh, to us. It brings some good things in that, um, but it also puts the world in a perpetual state of disarray. There are so many options, so many claims for our attention, so many claims for how things really are. Everyone can have a podium, and virtually all claims are accepted as a valid truth, at least for that individual. Yes, that is your truth. Embrace it. Feel good about it. This inundating of information, along with the varied claims for truth, are also a primary reason for our increased anxiety of today. Um, yes, our screens and the constant um, stream of informational, it literally has impacts on our brains and how they process. Um, you know, you've got light sensory issued things literally happening, um, but also the lack of moral rule in our culture leaves people with nothing firm to hold on to. Everything is spinning. Anxiety is only natural in our current culture of chaos. So all of these complexities also add for it to be quite up for grabs what it means to be a Christian in the West. Now Christianity we all, will always be influenced by the culture in which it exists. But we need to be very intentional in knowing what it means to live lives for Christ in our culture. I read of someone, um, overhearing someone today in today's culture saying, Jesus is my savior, but that is just my personal belief. Sit with that. Jesus is my savior, but that is just my personal belief. In many ways, our Christian culture very much reflects that sentiment. I believe what I believe, and you believe what you want. Whatever, believe, whatever feels good to you is right for you. And in my loving care of you, I will say that your belief is good. 
And I want to remind us today that the one truth of Christ being all our redemption impacts everything and everyone, believers or not. The one truth can sometimes be received as offensive. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Christianity is a way of life that only makes sense if God raises the dead, and that impacts everything, including impacting those who don't follow Christ. We need our lives to portray this truth. The truth of the gospel is still truth for the unbeliever, whether they know it or not, whether they've chosen to embrace it or not. So how, in this mixed culture of chaos, of ideas, how can we be beacons of one truth. Our faith is not an individual opinion. The lordship of Jesus can be received as an offensive claim. And today the world is hungry for an authentic witness to, to truth. Eugene Peterson is the author of the message. Someone asked him once in um, a bit of a, a setting where there are a lot of leaders and a panel, um, someone in the audience asked, him, if you were to summarize your view of the Christian life, what would you say? And so Peterson first declines. He says, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to give you your bumper sticker phrase um, to sum up everything. And they persist. He declines. Um, they persist for more. And he finally says, okay. So he sits with it for a moment. And he says, practice resurrection. To be new creations means that the resurrection of Jesus reshapes the way we understand reality, it reshapes how we live. A hallmark of our faith is transformation. And a question I have for us today is, are our lives marked by transformation? Or are we so caught up, inundated in today's culture, driven by our desires, our goals, our accomplishments? Are we so immersed in a moral culture of chaos and anxiety that we're not living lives of transformation. We're more in a survival mode, not able to know God's presence, not able to allow space for the spirit to do the work of transformation in our lives. Um, we're in more of in a place of we just need God to be our helper and help us to get by. God, help us survive. Help us to survive the chaos, chaos of our culture. Is that where we sit more? The rhythms we've fallen into as a culture are very disjoint from that of Christ, from that of God's presence of abiding with him in his peace, his truth, in his victory. So just like that early church was very intentional and new, we've got to make a break. We've got to figure out a different way. We must also break from the rhythm of this culture. We must break from the systems of, of delete, excuse me, systems of belief that define it and from the mental and emotional patterns that define our culture. So we have to step into lives where we claim what is ours, the joy and the peace that come through life in Christ. We have to reestablish how we live. How can we welcome God's presence of peace now and today? How can we have that posture where there's space for transfer, transformation? 
where we're not joining the rest of the culture in terms of where they are emotionally, spiritually, morally, and how can we live and commune with the Holy Spirit. So just like the Holy early Christians had to figure it out. We've got to figure out, well, what are the things we can do? What, what can we do now to change? Again, Romans said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So to answer the question, like, how can we do that today? How can we change? We're staying here. We're not moving away. Um, I've seen some people, some groups, who find big ways to really slow down their lives um, and their pace of life. Um, maybe they're able to intentionally only work part-time. Maybe they simplify their living to allow more space um, for abiding in God and community. And I even see some of that here in our congregation. But I would say that most of us here are in a time of life where there's not a lot of practical logistical change to our schedule that's going to happen anytime soon tomorrow that's where most of us are so our schedule will continue to go but what what can we do here in this space so today we're going to spend some time um, just talking about a few of the some little some maybe you would think are a little more than little but what are those ways to practically invite the Spirit's presence, to abide in his presence through the fullness of our days and our schedule. Um, I want to look into some of those together. How can we claim lives centered on Jesus Christ while still staying in our what we are doing in our days today? If we can figure out how to abide and remain and live in God's presence all through the day, the natural byproduct will then for it be for our lives to look like Christ, to point to him, and to point to the one truth. Three weeks back, Pastor Ryan talked about Sabbath, a command, a gift from our loving God, and a huge peace towards abiding in him, being on pace to welcome his presence, his truth, his justice throughout the rest of our weeks when we start with Sabbath. I'm going to talk today about some other practices that can be used throughout our weeks in different parts of our days. Um, I did gather the different practices I'm going to talk about, and these are just suggestions. There are many. I did put them on a Google Doc, though, so if you want notes on these suggestions later, we'll put up a QR code at the end of the service. I also printed just a small guide on purple sheets on the information tables when you leave. So you can grab those if you want those guides towards trying to incorporate um, the Holy Spirit a bit more into our lives. So, uh, and, and it, another good point, here we are at the beginning of Lent. So an intentional time of reflecting. This is the first Sunday of Lent. So I encourage you to try out some of the things we'll touch on. Maybe some of these already are part of your routine. Um, try them, test them out, see how they feel for you um, towards walking in God's presence. So the first two that I'm going to suggest actually come from a book our young adults are reading. The book is called The Common Rule by Justin Whitmill Early. The first one is kneeling prayer three times a day. So that's a practice. It's not defining like how how long you need to be kneeling in prayer. That's something we can all fit in. 
Um, I myself initially pushed back. Why, why do I have to be kneeling? You know, like I can pray, like standing, sitting, wherever I am. Um, but how about kneeling, um, if nothing else, that our pos- the posture of our heart would be prostrate before our God, our holy, almighty God. Not us, as we start our day in kneeling prayer, not us to be being the curators and directors of our to-do list for our day, but our Heavenly Father. Holy is his name. Let's start our days praising our mighty God, our God of justice, of peace. Welcome his presence and kneeling prayer from the beginning. Welcoming the guiding of the Holy Spirit to every part of our days, to the to-do lists, to the interruptions of our to-do lists. And then let's pause during the flurry of our days, so in the middle of our day, and let us kneel in prayer again. Let's spend a moment acknowledging our wonderful creator. We are humble servants before him at the foot of the cross. And then let's end our days there, letting go of what has happened, releasing them into our Savior's hands, recentering our, our hearts and minds again to the author and creator, our one peace. So that's the first practice that I feel like is very accessible um, to all of us towards, towards being centered. Uh, the next one I want to talk about also from the common rule is a practice of scripture before phone each day. Um, I don't know how many of you here, um, but I know it is pretty common to wake up and oh, just scroll through a few things, some notifications, some emails, schedule reminders, um, what have you. That's so often our first thing we do, right? And how does that set the course of our day then? You know, we're immediately like enslaved into that to-do list for the day or immediately distracted um, by something that's not centered before the Lord. So this practice scripture before phone um, says, take a moment first before you get to your phone and read some of God's word. Let him start your day speaking to your heart through his word. Let him change the posture in the first moments. Now, a trick of that is, and I find it a tricky, tricky myself, um, some of us, our Bibles are here, right? So if we open it up to find the word, we, we might get distracted. So maybe that can work for you if you do this practice. Maybe you'll actually need a real Bible um, nearby to <laughs> one you can touch and hold um, to help you to focus. So the next practice I want to talk about is lament. Lament is sometimes something we do here sometimes corporately. We'll, we'll say a prayer of lament together sometimes. Um, we'll often read a psalm of lament, but I think outside of that, lament isn't something that we are intentionally practicing on our own or in community outside of those couple spaces I mentioned. Um, if we look at our Bible, the biggest book in the Bible is the Psalms. Pretty much smack that in the middle, right? Psalms has numerous categories. The Psalms are categorized. There's Psalms of thanksgivings, praise, of remembrance, and so forth. The biggest category of Psalms are Psalms of lament. Lament is a space to put our worries, pains, fears, frustrations of injustice, the things we're angry about, 
we give them to the Lord and we hold them up to him in the space of hope, knowing that he is God over all. He is our great mighty counselor. He knows us best. He loves us best. And we are welcome to pour out our hearts to him. Often I feel like we take on from Christian culture an attitude that we're to give thanks always and to be positive always. Um, when we're going through a trial and tribulation, we just need to think on what God is doing good in that time. And we don't feel always welcome to really be transparent with our Father and tell him how we feel. If we look in different parts of scripture, we see accounts of giving and pouring out hearts before the Lord and God receiving that. Um, there's times when Abraham is obstinate, argues, he pushes back, and God works with that and lets him. Um, we hear Job's, all of his emotions, um, and certainly the Psalms of Lament, of so many of them written by David. He had a difficult, hard life, and we hear it in those Psalms. We hear him pouring out his heart we're welcome to do all that as well. In the guide I gave you, I wrote out the pieces of lament. I actually just recently wrote um, a lament. So that some of the pieces, though, if you were to try to write a psalm, a prayer of lament for yourself, it's typical, typically includes an address to God, your complaint, your request, uh, the motivation of why God should act, and then concluding with your confidence in God. Um, so not my immediate family, but in my extended family, there is a circumstance right now that needs a lot of prayer. Um, so I took that circumstance before the Lord, and I wrote a prayer of lament. Um, and I really appreciated the space it gave for me, a structured space to express more of what I was feeling, where I didn't really quite know how to put that before the Lord. You know, it helped me to sort through my thoughts, what I was filled with sorrow about, what I was mourning for, what I was angry about, how I was wondering where God was. Um, in that lament, I put that before the Lord. And as I prayed, I felt seen. I felt more seen by my Father he saw us as a family in this situation. God knows us, and he is with us. I felt he heard our hearts. As I wrote mine, it also gave me clarity for what I wanted to ask God for. When we sit and we worry about something, and maybe we kind of send up a prayer here and there, um, it's, we are less in tune with what God wants in this situation. And as I wrote my prayer of lament, I feel like God spoke, you know, what is it that, what is, what is the desire of my heart for it? What is good? What does good look like there? And then, of course, writing my prayer of lament landed me in the place of hope, knowing that my God is almighty. He is just, and he will ultimately restore all things. I, without disclosing any details of the circumstance, I want to share just a couple pieces of my lament, and my hope is that you, you can feel how that space allowed me to pour my heart out, for, for God to feel those emotions, to be with me, to be my great counselor. So here is some of my prayer. 
Oh God, we cry out in desperation. We need you. We need you now. Why has his life been left undone? Why has your spirit not evoked change? Why is there so much confusion and brokenness? Lord, be the God of truth. Be the God of love for them. Speak to them. Let them know your truth. May they know you as the true lover of their souls. God, you are the God of healing, of hope, of love. You are the God of transformation. We know you can do all these things. Your hand is over everything. You are the best lover of our souls. We know you are present and you are at work. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your great care for us. Amen. So again, it's a very much less used practice, but it connects us with, it invokes our God, and it reminds us of our hope we have in him. The next practice I want to talk about, um, I do know that some of us are familiar with Lectio Divina. Um, on my guide that I have at the end, it, it gives you the structure. Um, it, it is about taking a passage of scripture, usually six to 12 verses, um, reading it. It's a slow, slow reading and repeat reading, seeing what the Spirit lays on your heart regarding it. Is there a single word or phrase? God is speaking to me in this passage, reflecting on that, reading it again, asking for the Spirit to guide you in the prompting of that word he has put on your heart. Um, it's a beautiful way to interact and engage with scripture aside from the times we sit down and we're just reading from content you know sometimes we do need to sit down and read scripture and learn about that content um, but this beautiful engaging um, that's the practice of Lectio Divina helps us with um, is a practice I want to encourage so that structures on that guide but I want to go on a little bit. Um, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Eat This Book, and it's talking about uh, very much of its expounding on Lectio Divina as more of um, a pattern of life, taking it um, from that setting of reading, but letting it be our lifestyle of engaging with God's word. He used the, he talked about the scripture that says the way we read scripture is like, as a lion meditates over its prey. So, and meditate's not how we usually translate that, but the word meditate is striking. If you think about a dog who's given like a new bone in the morning, and just think about how he like meditates over that bone. He takes it with him all over the place. He's drooling over it. He's getting at it in all the different crevices in different ways. You can even think of maybe a low growl the dog has while he is meditating over this new bone. So Eugene Peterson's example is trying to encourage us to come to our reading of scripture with the fullness of who we are. It's not just a single time frame of sitting and reading scripture, um, but we're reading scripture where all of our senses are a part of that reading. It becomes a part of our souls. We're reading scripture with God, with him, and in his presence. We take to that reading what we already know of God from scripture reading, from his presence, from our experiences, and we're engaging with that new word 
and we take it with us and mull over it through the day. That word in scripture becomes a part of our being as we carry it with us. So I encourage us to take intentional time and read scripture this way. It may not look specifically like, like the outline of what Lectio Divina is, but a way that God's word becomes saturated into our bones as we go through life. The last practice that I want to talk about with us today um, is called the prayer of examine. Um, I'm going to go through, we're actually going to do that together, um, which I know that um, immediately some of you feel very awkward about that. Um, and we could say that this isn't the ideal setting to do like a spiritual practice. And in some ways, yes, because there's so many distractions around us. But in other ways, in community is a wonderful place and a beautiful place to do these spiritual practices. Um, we're supposed to be practicing our faith, pursuing God together. Um, as I, so again, I will go into what I mean by this. As I have gotten into the prayer of examine myself, um, a beautiful thing I have found is it has rolled over into all of my life. I'll have moments where I notice a heightened emotion, a high or a low, and I am reminded to see where God is in that moment. Maybe I'm really frustrated about something. Because of my practice of examine, I'm saying, God, here's what I'm feeling. God, I welcome you now. God, where are you here and where are you guiding me? So again, we'll look at the specific structure and do it together. But a wonderful thing that I'm loving about it is it's just, it overflows and permeates life. Um, the reason, part of one of the reasons I want to do this together, I have a little Chinese proverb to tell you, it's very short, but um, there are two young fish swimming in the ocean, swimming along, paddling about, going around, going in the, swimming in the ocean, and an older fish comes the opposite direction, much older, wise. And he looks at them and he gives them a head nod and he says, how's the water? And he swims past. And then one of the young fish looks at the other and he says, what is water? And the point is, is we are all so much a part of our culture and the pace of our culture that we don't even know what we're missing. Um, we don't know how disjoint we've become, which is part of the reasons I want, I want to do a practice with you today, um, prayerfully. If you're not getting many opportunities like this, this will be a tiny glimpse um, into welcoming God's presence. Um, what that means, what's that, what that feels like, um, is my prayer for you as we do this practice um, together. Okay, so I'm going to actually come sit over here for this. So if you were to actually practice this on your own, I would encourage like three or four minutes per prompt. We're going to do just about one minute with each prompt together here. And um, again, I do realize that it feels may feel awkward for some of us uh, in this space. So our first thing we're going to do is we're going to try to slow down our breathing and, um, and ask God for, for help to focus 
in a space that may not feel where it's not e where it's easy. So let's slow down our breathing. Some people suggest breathing in four seconds, holding it for, letting it out. Either way, do the, take the biggest deep breath you've taken all day. The first prompt for the prayer of examine is to become aware of God's presence. So we want to enter his throne room in our, in our minds. God has been with us and is with us through all of our day. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light. A lot of this talks about the day that has passed. So here we are in the morning. We can think on the past 24 hours, but let's first become aware of God's presence. The next phase is to review the day with gratitude. Every moment of our days is a gift from God. Be thankful for all the moments, even the small moments. Take a moment. The next phase is to reflect on the emotions of your day. So as you think back on the last 24 hours, recall the sights, sounds, smells, conversations, feelings from the day, what enlivened you, what discouraged you, and give your attention to those moments, offer them to God.
next piece is to welcome God into a high or a low of the day. Reflect honestly on the moments you felt out of tune with God. For what do you need to ask for God's forgiveness? Or maybe it's a high and you want to acknowledge where God is in that moment. And the last phase is to look towards the day to come. What are you looking forward to? What concerns you? Ask God for help. Ask him to help you see where he is moving and at work. Amen. Thank you for joining me in that practice. Um, again, if you were to do it on your own, you may work up to three or four minutes um, per section. Um, prayerfully, that's a glimpse for some of us of God's presence. Um, at this time, I want to welcome up the worship team. Also, any pastors in the room will come up. We would love to pray for you. If you'd like prayed for, you can come up to the front as we sing our closing song.
we ask today that you help us to be beacons of peace. Let us today be beacons of one truth, of lives filled with peace, with rest, with the presence and fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let us set a different way. And as we enter this season of Lent, let's be intentional about figuring out ways we can set a different way, a different way than the pace of our culture, in terms of the mental, emotional spaces. Help us to, Lord, we want to welcome presence of God and peace. And we need help, Lord, setting a different way of the moral context of our culture that says anything goes. Let's set the pace of our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. I want to close with a prayer uh, found in the Book of Common Prayer compiled by Shane Claiborne, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, and Enuma Okoro. This specific prayer is specifically welcoming Sabbath rest. As we incorporate more of these practices in our lives, we are welcoming the peace, the truth, found in Sabbath into our everyday. We're letting the Sabbath presence spill over into all of our lives. Let us pray. Lord of creation, create in us a new rhythm of life composed of hours that sustain rather than stress, of days that deliver rather than destroy, of time that tickles rather than tackles. Lord of liberation, be by the rhythm of your truth, set us free from the bondage and baggage that break us, from the pharaohs and fellows who fail us, from the plans and pursuits that prey upon us. Lord of resurrection, may we be raised into the rhythms of your new life, dead to deceitful calendars, dead to fleeting friend requests, dead to the empty peace of our accomplishments. To our pact-filled planners, we bid peace. To our over-caffeinated consciences, we say cease. To our suffocating selves, Lord, grant release. Drowning in a sea of deadlines and death chimes, we rest in you, our lifeline. By your ever restful grace, allow us to enter your Sabbath rest as your Sabbath rest enters into us. In the name of our creator, our liberator, our resurrection, in life we pray, amen.